All right, that's it, and it is psalm song time. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's psalm song. Once again, the worship team knocks it out of the park for us, and you're saying, man, what is John Lennon doing at church this morning? Why are we doing that? Well, we're in the process, or we're in the series that we call Psalm Songs, and we do this to some degree every um, summer. We take songs that we know very, very well, and then um, whoever happens to be preaching that morning will take a uh, psalm and connect the song to the psalm so that next time you're driving around in your car and you hear that song come on the radio, okay, your brain will say, oh, I remember that message was about 
and it'll click in your head. Music is a very, very powerful avenue for communication. It really is. Most all of us can remember uh, where we were when we hear certain songs. You know, something will pop up. It may not be every song you've ever heard, but something will pop up on the radio and suddenly it will be like, oh, you know where I was when I heard that? Man! Yeah, and, and you go there, right? So our goal is to set it together so that you can go there in that song. And I, I wanted to use this song, and, and I'm looking forward to what I want to share with you, but man, what a great song, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know what you thought was coming or what you think is coming after this, but when you hear that song, isn't that just a great song? I mean, what, what goes through your mind? Oh, man, if it could just be like that, right? Imagine if it can just be like this. Imagine if we can just do that. But sometimes we sing songs that do like really wonderful things inside of our heart, but we don't read the words. And we don't look at the words. And we don't consider the words. Now listen, I understand John Lennon is saying, imagine if it can all be this way. I got that. Listen, if you're like, he's about to wreck that song for me, we're going to be finding a new church because we like John Lennon. Okay, listen, I'm not trying to wreck the song for you. I, I was there once. I took a song. I put it on my iPod or back then, and, and I was listening to it, and I was dancing around the house, and my, my children, my grown children, they had to say, Papa, you need to stop listening to that song. And I'm like, why? And they said, this is a bad song called Santeria. It's a bad song. I'm like, it's a good song. I saw it on a commercial. There were little children sitting in a circle singing it. It was great. They said, listen to the song. Read the words. And I couldn't get it off my iPod fast enough. It was like, oh, they just took the little chorus there for the little children. The rest of it is just like a tragedy. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Same thing here. You say, don't do it with John Lennon. Listen, sometimes we get this song and it's all chill and make us want to kick back. And we're like, yes, just imagine. And the truth is, I could preach right out of John 17 where Jesus prayed for unity and prayed for you. Man, if we can just all have unity, if we can just all relax, if anybody has something, give it to them and don't ask for it back. I, I mean, I can walk down through the scripture and do this for you. But what's going on here? And what's going on in the culture around us is of concern to me. More than that, what's going on in the church is of concern to me. And I say that, listen, I turned this sermon in. By, by that I mean I gave it to Michael, he's our producer. I tried to get it to him early. And, and so I turned it in at the beginning of the week and it never fails. When I pour into a scripture and feel like the Holy Spirit's doing something and this is the message, sooner or later I'm gonna end up in a conversation of the same thing. And all the sermon was was preparation for this this uh, conversation that I'm going to have. And suddenly, it's like God is saying, so I want to talk to you, Joe, about your issues and your problems, and sometimes about my sin. And so that's where we're going to start, Joe. And then, by the way, three days from now, you end up in a conversation, and you're already reading the scriptures and know what it says, because you've had the conversation with your own self, your own sin. And it's like, oh, wow, that's what's going on, Lord. I see it. Let's just look at these lyrics. In verse 1, let's just get rid of heaven and hell. Oh, there's an idea. <laughs> let's just get rid of heaven and hell. Imagine or pretend that there isn't one. You say, Pastor Joe, he says just to imagine. Can you just roll with it? No, no, I can't. I'm sorry. I can't, okay? People would rather live in ignorance than in truth. Lie to people. Just tell them there isn't one. It's okay. 
Don't warn people about it. John's suggesting that people's biggest problems, and you're going to see it again, are the fact that there's a heaven and a hell. That, that perpetrating that upon people is the problems that are going on inside of our humanity. If there was no heaven or hell, we would not be having the problems that we are. So just pretend that there's not. Walk with me. The next verse is, pretend that there's no countries. Pretend that there's no countries. Ergo, no cultures. Ergo, no nuances. Ergo, nothing special about who you are or where you come from. Okay, just go ahead and imagine that that's what it is. That's what John is saying. Imagine that there are no countries. Pretend everybody is gray. And again, he hits in that verse on the end, if there was just no religion, heaven and hell, let's get rid of it. Religion, let's get rid of it. That's the problem in the world. That's not the problem in the world. That's not true. It's got a nice melody, though. So does Santeria. It's got a great little catchy melody. It makes you want to drive fast. Maybe that's how you know it's the devil, but still, okay? Still, just because it's got a catchy melody doesn't mean it's teaching you something real. And music is not just entertainment. It is a teaching tool. And so we see him saying, hey, religion, that's the problem. Finally, he says, imagine that you can't make own anything that is just yours. No sculpture, no painting, no house, no nothing. He says, let's just imagine a world where there's no hunger or no need for greed. And I'm just telling you, I would like to imagine that. I, I honestly would. I'm not being sarcastic. I would like to imagine a world where everybody gets to eat and everybody's not clawing after everybody's house, their stuff, their car, their wives, their husbands, their children, their jobs. I would love to imagine that. And it's not hard for me to do that. It is not hard for me to look into the scripture on heaven and say, guess what it's going to be like? There's not going to be a need. There's not going to be sickness. There's not going to be problems. There's not going to be the curse that we brought on ourselves back in the Garden of Eden. Everything is going to be wonderful. Imagine that. But listen, here's the deal. What we're talking about is everything having everything in common. And that's the ideal of communism or socialism, however you want to look at. And I'm sorry, that doesn't work. I'm not here to make political statements. I'm just saying, when you look at the countries that are living that way, and you look at the people leading those countries, they're not living under the very thing that they're oppressing people with. They're living high on the hog. You don't believe me? Look at the ambassadors that come to the United States from those countries. Man, they're living like our country until they go back, and then they go back to living like their country, but behind closed doors, all the money stops at the top. And they've got what they want. It's, it's really, I mean, without being overly mean or nasty, it's kind of like being just a little bit what I saw of Amish in the community that I lived in in Western Oklahoma. You know, we went to the rodeo. They, the church had standards about going to public, you know, events, especially sporting events. And so I was sitting in the back with my family, and it was great. Every county has a rodeo, and there's Olin down there at the end. And I looked down, and it's like, you know, there's all his people. And, and, uh, and, and I said, hey, how are you doing? Great. Hey, you're not supposed to be here. No, it's okay as long as we don't get caught. <laughs> kind of argument is that? You know, again, same thing happened when I went into a movie store back when VHSs were the th thing and I saw somebody there and I said, hey, you're not supposed to be here. And he said, no, it's okay if we don't get caught. See what I'm saying? Nobody really wants to buy that. 
Nobody's really doing it. It's a great thing to imagine, a utopia. It would be outstanding. But sometimes, sooner or later, the problem is the people in charge want to live like kings as long as they're saying, hey, imagine you have everything you want or just as much as you want, and, and, and it'll work out, okay? I'm, I'm, I, you know, it'll work out. But who wants to live in the world that, that he's imagining? Why don't we live in the world that they're imagining? And you know what happens? Sooner or later, the worlds that they're imagining clash into each other because they're imagining something just a little bit different. It's not unlike what the scripture says of the, 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 the people of Israel back in Judges 17. Everybody just do what you want. It really is okay. Well, the scripture says in Judges 17, in those days Israel had no king and everybody did just as they personally saw fit. Just do whatever you want. It's okay. It's all good. We can, just, we can just have that. But the problem is, sooner or later, what you think is right will infringe on what I think is right. And we'll have conflict. And I, and I, don't, I, I don't think that's what we're supposed to be doing. I think there's a place for us to chase after Jesus and begin to, to press in. And, and again, the song suggests that everybody can just do what you want. But when we look at um, um, Psalm 12, which is what I want to connect this to, is, which is where I'm going, we see some problems. Because, again, it's just an imagine. It's, it's not going to be a reality. In Psalm 12, the scripture says this, Help me, Lord, for the godly are no more. Faithful men have vanished from among men. Everyone lies to his neighbor. Their flattering lips speak with deception. May the Lord cut off from all flattering lips and every boastful tongue um, that says we will triumph with our tongues, with our lips. Who is our master? Because of the oppression of the weak and the groaning of the needy, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver refined in a furnace of clay, purified seven times. O Lord, you will keep us safe and protect us from such people forever. The wicked freely strut about when what is vile is honored among men. Psalm 12 says, whenever people get to do just whatever they think is right, everything begins to fall apart. Everything begins to disintegrate. And so I was thinking about this message um, a couple of weeks ago, and I was sitting down and I was going to begin to work on it. And I thought, how should I begin this message? You know, it would be a great way to begin this message. I'm just going to do like John Lennon says. I'm just going to come in here and says, from now on, the Vineyard Church in Richmond is going to believe that there's no such thing as sin. So do whatever you want. Just come in for worship. It's, it's great. We're still going to, you know, help the Pregnancy Help Center, but who cares about sin? Just have a good time. And there's actually scripture that Paul wrestles with where he says, is this really what you think truth is? Should we just sin that grace may abound all the more? No. See, he answers the question. And it's like, oh, man, are you kidding me? Check this out what Paul says when he writes to the church in Rome. I do not understand what I do. This really is like a Dr. Seuss sort of a thing, okay? And if I can just keep my tongue in my mouth headed in the right direction, then you'll understand it. If not, read it up here, okay? I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that, the good, uh, that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin living in me who does it. You see what he said? He said, my argument is, if I sin, it's not me. Jesus saved me. It's just this body who wants to sin, my sin nature. So it's not me, so I'm not to blame. So we might just say, well, then let us just sin. And it goes on to say, so that grace may abound. The more I sin, then the better God looks because he saves me from all this sin. Should we just say that? Should we just say, everybody, just do whatever you want because it is okay? And it's not. We can't do that. It's not appropriate. It's not biblical for us to head down that road. And yet that's what Paul's saying. And he's saying, listen, I'm recognizing that I need a God. I need a God to forgive me, but I can't change sin into not sin. I have to confess my sin, and then he's faithful and just to forgive me from my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. He says, I can do that. And that's what we have the opportunity for. The tough part is, I see this unfolding. And at the beginning of this week, this is where I began to write it down for myself because I see this going on. And this is something that's like picking up. And I'm not talking about people that are in their homes and being careful because of health issues. No, please. If I preach a message, I have to preach it generally. I can't preach it specifically. I'm not writing a sermon for one of you and hoping the rest of you listen. I'm not interested in that. Okay? But as we walk with Jesus, we have to come to terms with some things. Okay? This is what I keep hearing from the Christian world as it begins to unfold. Well... I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. And, and truth be known, you actually don't. You do not need to go to church to be a Christian. There's so much truth to that. There really is. We go to church because we are Christians. We go to church because Jesus is building the church. I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about gathering together with other people. The building is just a building. Gathering together is the church. And Jesus said, I am going to build my church on this confession of faith, he told Peter. I'm going to build my church. And Paul says in, 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 the church, in his letter to the ch um, church in Cor Corinth, he says, and the Holy Spirit is going to pour out gifts on the people in the church as the whole group of you has needs. So when I begin to say, wow, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, so you're telling me that the Holy Spirit is going to invest himself inside of you while you live like a spiritual orphan because you don't have to go to church to be a, a Christian, and yet the Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is giving gifts so you can help one another, and, and, and Jesus says, I'm going to do this. So Jesus is doing the building of the church. He's gathering together with the community of faith, and over here I'm saying, Jesus lives inside of me, but I'm not doing that. You see where that's going? You see what we're beginning to buy into? And it really is one of those things that if you can get somebody to say it enough times people will begin to believe it. They will. They will begin to believe it. If you just keep saying silk, 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 and have somebody just say it after you, silk, silk. When you say milk, they're going to say silk. They will, because they're anticipating, because you keep saying silk, that it must be silk. But then when you say milk, they'll say silk. Oh, sorry, yeah, no, milk, milk. They'll say that. The more times we say something over and over and over and over and over again, the more we begin to buy into it unless we understand what's going on. The more we sing that song, the more we can desire a utopian society. That's okay. It's not going to happen simply because we have something called the human nature that's never taken into account in songs like that. Pastor Joe, he said, imagine. I get it. No, I, I can be there with you. But I'm just telling you, 
You connect that to truth, where we can't just all do whatever we want and then it's all good for me because what's good for me you know, isn't hurting you. Believe it or not, it's like cutting off your finger and saying, well, the finger's not the hand or the nose or the ears, so what, what harm does it do to cut it off? Sooner or later, it infects the whole rest of the body. And again, I'm not making arguments for, for beating people up and stuff like that. I'm just saying, at some point, the truth matters. But that in and of itself is an absolute uh, problem, and we have to be careful of that, okay? If Jesus is living inside of you and he's building the church, then he will lead you to a church. He really will. But it's going to be a church that challenges your lifestyle and gets in your face a little bit. It's going to be a church that preaches Jesus Christ, and it's going to preach sacrifice, giving, praying, and not prosperity all the time. It's going to be a church that lives out serving outside of the walls of the building. It's going to be a church that says we have to help people, but we have to be honest. We can't be a church that doesn't say, listen, you're standing on the railroad tracks and at nine o'clock there's a train that's going to come through here and it's going to run you over. I, I, I want to encourage you, get off the railroad tracks. And, and they can say, you can't make me. You're right. I'm only doing it because I care that that train is going to run you over. That's, that's the only reason I'm doing it. I don't get credit for making your life miserable. Or telling you you can't play in the road but I care enough about you not to get run over that there's a place where we have to be a church that's also willing to say the truth not with rocks and hammers with invitations and prayer and love we have to be willing to do that Bible College the first book that I ever looked at way back in that day was the book of Hebrews it's a book of better salvation better Savior better than angels better temple better relationship to God better eternity it's just called the book of better things it is it's a book of better things but in the midst of his writings Paul sounds an alarm I believe Paul wrote the book of Hebrews in the midst of Paul's writing he sounds the alarm and we have what's in there um, what's referred to as the five parenthetical warnings in the book of Hebrews there are five warnings that are right in there and you can't miss them they're right there he's preaching along he's talking along he's writing along whatever you want to call it and all of a sudden he goes boom I need you to know this and you're like where'd that come from well, it popped into his head. I do it all the time. I'm preaching, and then I say, oh, by the way, let me just share this with you. And you think, where did that come from? Well, that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. You're right. It's just it popped in my head. And my wife said, don't let it pop in your head anymore, okay? Just don't let it pop in your head. First one, because I see something going on in the church, and the church is drifting. We're starting to okay sin. We're starting to be all right with it. It's not a big deal. And this is how I know. This is how I know. Because God sees all sin the same. God, to God, all sin is the same. That's what people say. Do you know that's not a biblical thought? Have you ever read the book of Leviticus? God said, if that person sins this way, they have to do this. But if they sin this way, if, if, if he steals a sheep, he's got to give four sheep back. That's what God said. That's how he judged the sin. But if he accidentally kills somebody over here, his life has to be forfeit. See? So God does not see all sin the same. That is not true. Unequivocally, not true. All sin has the same end, yes. So lying has the same end as murder when it comes to eternity, yes. 
but God does not see them the same socially. And I, I can't change that for you. I don't get to change the word. Open it up and read it for yourself. Read the whole book of Leviticus. If all sin is the same, God would not have a whole book of Leviticus. He would have a, a, a paragraph, and that would be it. And so we see this. First warning in the, in the book of Hebrews. And again, this is not a hammer to beat you with. This is Paul saying, listen, wake up. There's a train coming, and you're standing on the railroad tracks. I need you to be careful. And I call, uh, for me, it's, it's referred to as a drift. Because nobody wakes up, in, in my mind, just runs away from God. But practically, even though we call ourselves Christians, we begin to drift if we're not paying attention. Number one, neglect. We begin to neglect God. We neglect reading our Bible. We neglect spending time in prayer. We neglect investing in the kingdom of God, serving our community. We neglect leaders. We neglect spouses. We neglect giving. We neglect loving God and, and taking it to our neighbors. We neglect sharing with people that just need us to share with them. Look at what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 2. We must pay uh, the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how are we going to escape if we ignore such a great salvation? That means Jesus. This Jesus, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Salvation and Jesus. God also testified to Jesus by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And it goes on to say, we dare not neglect these things. That's the first one. And we begin to say how easy it is, right, to neglect, right? Just roll over. Man, it's okay. We don't have to, you know, read our Bible. Pastor Joe will tell us, or my grandma will tell us, or no, 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 no. We want you to have a close personal relationship with Jesus where you open up your Bible and you walk with God. And God speaks to you because he's not going to tell you to do things that I'm doing. He's going to tell you to do what you were created to doing. But we've got to be careful that we don't begin to neglect. And that's where I take the first issue. I believe the first issue of neglect is you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You say that enough times to somebody and suddenly you're not in church at all. I know you can meet God on a golf course, but I don't think God wants you to, to meet you on a golf course every Sunday morning. I really don't. If he's building the church, I think he wants to meet you in church. If God inhabits the praises of his people, and that means corporately, then I think he wants to meet you in the praises of his people corporately. I think we're here to encourage each other, inspire each other, challenge each other, and confront each other if you read the Bible. And I want to encourage you that we're called to be a community of faith. The second one is unbelief. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. There it is, unbelieving. You, you have a choice. Belief is a choice. It really is. It's like love. Love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an adjective. It's a thing that you do, okay? See to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That's how I memorized that scripture, sorry. Um, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The sin that we chase sometimes is deceitful inside of our hearts, and it makes little, little hard, crumbly places in our hearts, little stones, okay? It says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original conviction firmly to the very end. As has been said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like you did in the rebellion. 
Who were they that heard and rebelled? Weren't they all that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? See to it, so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And there it is when we begin to say, no, that's not what the Bible means. And this is how I see this played out in Christian people's lives. Well, if that's what God says, then I'm not, I'm, that's not what I believe. It's like, I know, but if you can look me in the eye and say, that's what God says, but that's not what I'm going to believe, you're making a choice. See, we can't be doing that. We can't define for God. I see people, and they're just all the time saying, well, this is what I'll do, and if God can't say, accept that, then I guess I'll just go to hell. I have people say that to me. But that makes me God. I can't be God. I need a God. I need a salvation. And so we see that this unbelief, you know, I was wrestling with that in my own life. You know, do I try to justify my sin? Do you try to change it because of unbelief? Um, are you choosing to let the devil's voice in your head? Because here's the other thing. Sometimes I think it's the unbelief of this. God will never do that for me. God doesn't love me as much as that person. My life will never get better. Nothing's ever going to change. And we have this unbelief that God does want to do things in our lives to bless our lives. And the truth of the matter is, the Scripture says that the Lord does want what's best for us. He's going to play it out His way. But at the end of the day, God loves you. And it's not because of how skilled you are, how perfect you are, how sinless you are. But there is a call to go and sin no more. But there's a place where we have to stop listening to the devil say, you're not good enough. You are. He died for you. He's calling you. He wants to change your life. He wants to see things happen on your behalf. And sometimes I think the unbelief isn't that God doesn't exist. It's that God doesn't care about me. When in fact, he really does. He doesn't do what I tell him to do. <laughs> but I know for a fact that he cares about me. Negligence, ah, it's not that important. Unbelief, well, God's never going to change my circumstance anyway because he's not doing it how I want him to. And the next thing in the, in the book of Hebrews is apostasy. N-U-A. It's impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Have you walked this way? Have you decided it's just time to walk away? I'm done. I'm not doing all this stuff. I'm not going to follow God. I'm not going to spend time in my Bible. I'm not going to pray for people. I'm not going to church. I'm not doing that. We've decided that God's not real because he won't do what I say. See what, see what we're doing? It's like we can't do that. Maybe another religion will do it. You're in the most inclusive one here. We just have to do it God's way. Not my way. God's way. What does the Bible say about what the Bible says? Apostasy. The, this, uh, the fourth one is willful sinning. We get to that place where we're just like, hang it all. I want to have fun and I want to party now and I want to enjoy it all. I don't care what hell's going to look like. I, I want to have it all right now. Once again, I have had people look me in the eye and say that. Well, I just want to have it all right now. Look at this. Hebrews 10, if we, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received a knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. 
What that means is, if, if Jesus saved us and we aren't transformed by that power, there's no other offering that God has to give. It's not God saying, you're lost, you're, you're not going to... What he's saying is, this is the biggest sacrifice that ever could be made for you, that cross. Jesus dying on that cross. It's the biggest sacrifice that could be made. God doesn't have a bigger sacrifice for people that are like, eh, I don't think I can buy the cross. You got anything else, Lord? He doesn't have anything else. This is plan A and there's no plan B. He loves you. And if you're like, well, that cross, that's not good enough. He's like, but I don't have anything else. I gave you the best that I have to die for you because I love you. And we're saying, yeah, I got anything else? See, and God's saying, I, this scripture, it says, I don't, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we receive the knowledge of truth, there's no sacrifice for sins left. That's the only one. But only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two, three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who's trampled the Son of God underfoot, who is treated as an unholy or casual thing, okay, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them? And who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And people get to the place where they're like, well, having sin is so much more fun right now than going to church or chasing after Jesus. I think God is trying to like limit my fun, so I, I want to go have more fun. And I think God's okay with it. He's not okay with it. He paid for it and then gives us the strength and the power to stop it. He speaks to us and challenges us in it so that we can come away from it. And we will all face different ones because that will lead us right into the last one, which is refusing to hear the word of God. N-U-A-W-R. Now or never. I just had to make an acronym so I could get an A on the test. That was all. But it stuck with me. You get to the place where you don't want to hear the word of God. Somebody that you love very much that's walking with Jesus will sit down and say, listen, listen, we got to talk about this. And you're like, I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do this. Now we're willful sinning. See, it's been, a, it's been a drift. Think about it for a second. It's just a little bit of neglect. Ah, roll over on your pillow. It's no big deal. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that if you don't go to church, you're going to hell. I, I'm not saying that if you, if you miss a service, it's over. I'm saying we were created to be a part of a body. And we are a part. I don't know what part you are, but you're a part. And the body, if we cut it off, will get infected. It will find a loss. We need that little finger. You know, if you cut off everybody's thumb and big toe, you don't ever, ever, ever have to worry about them picking up a sword against you. And that's biblical. That's in your Bible. And they took this king and they cut off his big toes and they cut off his thumbs. You know why? Because he did that to a, a bazillion people before him. You know why? So that they couldn't pick up a sword and fight against him. And they couldn't run away. Imagine trying to run away without your big foot, I mean your big toe on your foot, leveling out your body. Every time you take a step, you would roll to the inside. See? You're not going to run very far. So that if you cut your enemy's thumbs and big toes off, you've won. You don't have to kill him. Just cut that off. And the enemy is trying to do that. And he does it by going, ah, really? you got to go to church? Doesn't that sound familiar? Really? Did God say if you ate that fruit? See what he's doing? Nah, it ain't no thing. You don't have to belong to a church. 
And then so often I hear people say, well, but the church got me some church hurt. And I'm going to tell you, coming up on 28 years, I'm going to tell you that more times than not, when somebody sits down and I do a little bit of investigation and conversation with them, what happened was somebody said, hey, that's sin. And they said, well, who do you think you are? I got church hurt. I'm going to go find another church. <laughs> Did you know that that's what the church is actually supposed to be doing? Oh, you can't judge me. And Jesus said, why do you judge the outside of the cup instead of the inside of the cup? Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. you got to make a judgment. I can show you scripture after scripture, and people are going to pull up that one, right? You know what I'm talking about. Judge not that you be not judged, because with the same judgment you judge, you will be judged. <laughs> and yet, that's in chapter 7. In John chapter 12, he says, stop making a wrong judgment and start making a right one. That's verbatim. Now, how can I make a right judgment without making a judgment? See, I'm not here to condemn you to hell, but I got to say the fruit's getting rotten. Can we talk? What's going on in your life? And when it starts to stink and they say, well, leave me alone. You're judging me. It's like, it's not church hurt. It's sin. But we've neglected and we've slipped into it. It's the pot and the frog. That's what it is. It's the pot and the frog. Neglect, unbelief. And unbelief's a tough one. Because God really does care about you. He cares about your income. He cares about your kids. He cares about your grandkids. He loves you. He is working on your behalf even when you can't see him doing it. But you begin to listen to the enemy say, ah, he doesn't like you. And unbelief slips in. Not unbelief like God isn't God, but unbelief like I don't think I'm good enough. You don't have to be good enough. Jesus was good enough. Jesus died for you. Jesus is the one whose righteousness you're clinging to that he traded for your sinfulness. And so that's where we are. You get to the place where it's refusing to hear the word of God. See to it that you do not, it says in Hebrews 12, refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, Jesus, then how much will we if we turn away from him who still warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised one more, uh, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And he's just saying the day is coming. I'm trying to tell you the day is coming. That's what he said. He's not throwing rocks at us and saying, the day is coming. He's saying, I'm trying to tell you the day is coming. Get off the tracks. Can you see the light from the train? Do you hear the horn? It's going to run you over. You and I live in perilous times right now because we get apathetic about what's going on in our culture and we start buying our culture instead of the scripture. And we've got to let go of the culture and cling to the things that we learned early on. Look what Paul says to Timothy. The, the Spirit clearly says in the latter times, many will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. It's okay. God understands. Go ahead and sin. You'll save $20. No, God doesn't understand. They forbid people to marry. They order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and those who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. We live in a world where you are told that gender is something that you decide. And listen, it's not. I had that conversation with somebody this week. It's not something you decide. It's not something the doctor that birthed you decide. It's something that God decided. And when you came out, they wrote it on a form called the birth certificate. 
It's decided. That's, that, I, I can't change that. That's truth. We can pretend that truth is not truth. Remember I said, that's what the culture's doing. That's not truth. That's not truth. Let's just pretend it's not truth. Whatever you want to believe truth, that's truth. No. You can't do that. You're being told that abortion is okay. Listen to me. It's not a political statement. This is a moral statement. It is not. Jesus said what? I have come that you might have life, not convenience. I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. See? Psalm 139, I was knit together wonderfully in my mother's womb. I'm not here to beat you up if, if you've had an abortion. I'm here to tell you that there is incredible forgiveness for you. But that is not the path of Christianity any longer. We're being told that more is better. It is not. What happens, Billy Graham said, if you get all the sex you want, if you get all the money you want, and you get all the power you want, now what are you going to do? Spend your money and sex on power? Spend your money and power on sex? Spend your sex and power on money? What are you going to do? Because sooner or later, it's not enough. But we buy into the lie that the devil says, if you just have bigger, if you just have more, then life will be better. And yet Paul says, I've learned to be content in all things. See, you're being told that leaving your spouse is the answer to your happiness, and it's not. You're being told that God wants you to be rich. He wants us all to be rich. Not necessarily true. Ask the disciples, okay? Sell everything you've got, give to the poor, come follow me. What? God didn't say that to me. He said that to you. He said, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. That's my word. Yours is sell everything you've got, give to the poor. Mine is I'm going to prosper you. And listen, we got to get back to rightly dividing the word of God. Because Christian people are struggling at that today. Struggling at it. More is not the answer, okay? You're being told that God will overlook your continuing sin, and he will not. You're being told that reading your Bible is not important. It is. You're being told that being challenged for your sin is wrong, and it's not. We are to hold each other accountable. You're being told that you are intolerant as a Christian, and that's a lie. If you're throwing rocks, then you're sinning against Christ himself. But speaking the truth, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying this in a cliche, speaking the truth in love is not wrong. Telling somebody there's a train coming and they're going to get hit is not hate speech. We need to care enough about each other to say, I'm concerned. At the point that people don't want to hear what you have to say, shut up. It's okay. Move forward. There is no, where, excuse me, where there is no agreed upon foundation, I'm going back to the song, imagine. Where there's no agreed upon foundation, no agreed upon structure, and no agreed upon morality, there will never, ever be peace. It's not realistic. It won't happen. Not at all. It's done. I'm concerned. This is my concern. Conversations with pastors in our community. How are you holding up? How are you holding up against our culture? How are you holding up being faithful to Jesus? How are you holding up against the idea that we've got to persevere until the trumpet blows, that we don't get everything right now? How are you holding up about being an overcomer against your own natural man that wants what it wants, when it wants it, and how it wants it? How are you holding up against trying to push back against me first, me only? How are you holding up? 
sometimes the weight gets heavy, sometimes it gets dark. And this morning, we want to pray with you. Paul said to the church in Galatia, let me finish it up with this. Brothers and sisters, if somebody was caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also will be tempted. This is the important part of this passage. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Walk with each other enough to carry each other's burdens. Walk with each other enough to care enough to want to carry each other's burdens. But you won't do that outside of a community. You won't do it by staying home. You won't do it by ignoring the church and not being a part of it. You won't, you won't, it just, you just won't. You were created to be part of a collective. Because God knows that the collective needs you as much as you need the collective, the group, the setting, the church. And I want to encourage you in that. God's got mountains of forgiveness for you. He's got mountains of forgiveness for me, but not for me to presume upon. For for me to ask for when I sin. And I want to encourage you in that. How are you doing in all of this? Let's uh, come before the Lord in prayer. And then these people are up here because they want to pray for you. If this morning you're like, wow, I feel myself drifting. I just, I just need God to touch me. I, I need to be refreshed. Let, let that be this morning. Father, as we come before you right now, I just ask and pray that you forgive us, Lord. I just ask and pray that you forgive me, Joe Wood. Forgive me, God. Because sometimes my attitude sucks. Sometimes my, my sarcasm is just, it's just wrong. God, I'm not you, and I never will be, and that's not my goal. But sometimes I'm not good enough for me, myself, and I ask your forgiveness for doubting that you do care about me. I pray that you would restore our belief, God, that you would cause us to have this passion and this fire inside of us that we couldn't stand to neglect. I pray that God, as the church, is refreshed, that the message will go out, that hope will be shared, that the light will come on, that people will find healing. The kingdom will grow and the darkness will be pushed back. But let let us be found doing this, Lord, until the trumpet blows. Release this upon us in the name of Jesus. God, I just lift these people up to you in their sin. And I pray that you forgive them the same way you forgive me. Please. I just speak that forgiveness over them because you said whatever we forgive on this earth. So I forgive it, God. Now raise us up in newness of life. Restore to us the joy of our salvation because we are a people desperately in need of you. In Jesus' name, amen. These people up here, we're going to come to our feet. This is our closing song. And these people are here to pray with you. If you just need a fresh touch, a fresh breath, a fresh whatever word from God, don't leave without that. Just move up here during the song. They'll pray for you, uh, and you can go out of here clinging to this word that you got this morning.